Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. Actually, this morning I woke up. Unfortunately, all my devices were set to European time when they had a time zone change in Europe last night. So I woke up and I was very shocked when I was an hour later than I thought I was. While I was gulping down some instant coffee because it was desperate times, I normally try to stay away. No offense to anyone that likes instant coffee. But I was pounding down my Rick coffee this morning and I felt like God said to me, okay, that's even worse. I don't even know. Some of you are like experts in, in instant coffee. So I'm chugging down my Rick coffee with some Milo to make it taste better. Amen. And I felt like God said to me, he said he's going to take care of people's hopeless situations this morning. And I thought that was so cool considering that one of the songs was Come Alive, Dry Bones and speaking about hopeless situations. And I love coming to church and coming together and worshiping and worshiping with you guys this morning because I could just feel like God was moving in the room. And as Christians, we have this beautiful verse in the Bible and and we actually sang it in the first song when, when we were singing about God inhabiting our praises. That when you came in here this morning and you actually sang about God and you praised God, you weren't just singing about a God that's far off. But God actually promises that when you praise Him, He comes and inhabits your praises. So this morning, while you were singing, God was actually coming into the room to come and encounter us. And I've been thinking about this verse so much in in Romans 8. And it's such a powerful verse and I'm trying my best to comprehend it and asking the Holy Spirit for help. And in Romans 8, 11, it says this. I'll read it in a second. If you've never heard me before, I'm from Germany. I just skipped introductions completely because I'm so excited. (laughs) But just a little bit about myself quickly. I live in Germany. I'm a part of a ministry called Awakening Europe. And basically, Awakening Europe was birthed five or six years ago by a man named Ben Fitzgerald and Todd White. And what happened was they were standing on a field in Nuremberg, um, Germany, and a tour guide was showing them where Hitler would commission his youth armies. And he was showing him where Hitler would gather thousands of youth and send them out to, to take Europe. And while, he was, while they were on this um, tour, they both saw a prophetic picture in their mind. And the picture they saw was thousands of people coming together, getting set on fire, and then going back across Europe. And they looked at each other and said, dude, I just saw this picture. And both of them had seen the same image in their mind. And that's cool, but how many of you know seeing something or having a prophetic word and doing it are two completely different things? So now Ben feels from God, okay, God, we're going to do something about this word. I want to rent that big soccer stadium that's there. But nobody knows who he is in Europe, and he has no money at the time. And an event like that, just to give you some perspective, costs about 1.6 million euros. So when you don't have any money, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money even if you have money. So he's like, okay, God's told me. Pastors would fly from Europe to Red in California to meet with him and say, God's not on this. It was harder for him and the team and for us to win passes than it was to win souls in the beginning. But a long story short, a year later, over 27,000 people showed up. And since then, a movement began and over 1.6 million euros came in. And since then, a movement began where we hire stadiums in some of the darkest cities in Europe. And we just did one in Vienna, Austria. It was amazing. Even the president of the nation came. And it was pretty cool because I got to host him. So 24 years old, hanging out. I don't know if hanging out's the right word, but it sounds cool to say I was hanging out with the president and his secret security, secret service. 
but he was just so blown away because he's a Catholic man and he couldn't believe that there were so many young people that came and gathered and were worshiping Jesus. And he was just so blown away by the fact that thousands and thousands and over 60 nations had come together to worship Jesus. And when he came up on stage to share for two or three minutes, after he finished sharing, we prayed for him. And the picture of us praying for him was on the front of the secular newspapers for over 10 days. Yeah, praise God. And it started this conversation of saying, is it okay to pray for leaders in public? And it became called the prayer that divided the nation. Which I love that because it's starting the conversation in one of the secular countries. And even to this day, he just got reelected and they still mention that day when he got prayed for. They always get what nation we're from wrong, but that's okay. They're like the American preacher. And we're like, talking about Ben, he's Australian, but it's okay. So that's a little bit about myself. My sister, you guys all know Chanel. She's much more than a vegan, I'll tell you that much. See, that was a nice shout out to you, Chanel. Okay, are you guys in Romans 8? This morning, please feel free to say amen. If you guys don't say amen, I'll keep preaching till you do. That's better. I knew I'd get the guys real quick with that one. Last week, I was preaching in, at Nice in the Vineyard, and I prayed for the All Blacks to lose, and they lost. I didn't pray anything for the Springboks, so we'll get there in a moment. But prayers are powerful. I mean, I had people on Facebook quoting my prayer, being like, this is the reason why my team lost. I was like, you shouldn't be supporting them in the first place. But um, are you in Romans 8? Romans 8, 11, I just want to read that briefly just to set a foundation for this morning. It says, but if, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And I just think that's such a powerful verse, especially the first half. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. I've been thinking about that verse, pondering that verse. And just think about that for a moment. You have Jesus, who's completely God and completely man, comes in the likeness of sinful flesh. He gets crucified on a cross. And then he gets put in the tomb behind a stone, and his body is decomposing at this point. Probably doesn't smell great. We forget that sometimes. He's three days in, body's decomposing, he's dead. It's an impossible situation, a hopeless situation. And suddenly the Holy Spirit fills this room. The Spirit of God fills that tomb and brings that dead body, the decomposing body, back to life. And this verse is saying that same Spirit lives inside of me and it lives inside of you. Now I read that verse and I know maybe you're going through something in your life. You may be going through a valley right now. You may have dry bones in your life. But I don't... I can almost guarantee that none of your problems are bigger than three days in a tomb decomposing. Amen? Amen. So the good news is you're in great hands because he's done more. He's done the impossible. He can, he can take care of your situation today. So I want you to set expectancy. I even felt during worship, remember that God is in the room right now, that he promises where two or more are gathered, he is there in their midst. So we didn't come here just to speak about God, but we came here to be with the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So I'm prophesying over people this morning that if you came in here with a hopeless situation, that you're going to leave here with hope today. If you came in here in a valley, you'll know that Jesus lives inside of you. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I think that's a good word. What do you think, Chanel? Thank you. 
Okay, let's close our eyes and pray. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for your presence. We thank that we get to come here and be with you. Not just talk about you or sing about you, but actually be with you. We don't want to miss your presence. We don't want to miss being with you. We love you, Holy Spirit. Have your way in our lives. God, I ask that you would make hopeless situations hopeful. That you would change our perspective. That no matter what we're going through, we can be hopeful because you are with us. God, I even ask right now, I feel like right now in this moment, God's healing someone of a slip disc in their back. Whoever has problems in their back right now, we say be healed in Jesus' name because the healer is in the room. We command that back to straight and those discs to go back into place right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh yeah, and God, please let the Springboks win today and Wales lose. And New Zealand lose the game next week for third and fourth playoff. Because you're, that, you, you're just that good, God. Amen. All of God's people said? Amen. Amen. Okay, thank you for partnering with me. Last year I was preaching at a conference and, and a kid from the back shouted, preach it, white boy, halfway through my sermon. So since then, anything's allowed. Just to punish him, I started the sermon again. I'm joking, but feel free to engage with me. If not, I brought my own encouragement and I will encourage myself. How many of you like war movies? Anybody? I know we're in church, but feel free, put up your hand. No shame. Okay, okay. There's, 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 war. there's war in the Bible, so you're actually okay with saying that you like war movies. I was watching a war movie. How many of you, and I'll explain it to you, and then we'll go somewhere, I promise. But I want to share my favorite war movie because I'm preaching. Um, and I've got the mic taped to my face, so I'm going to share it. How many of you have watched Lone Survivor? There we go. Okay, so the movie's a bit different from the real story, but basically what happens in Lone Survivor is these four U.S. Marines are dropped into northern Afghanistan. And they're dropped in the middle of the night, and the rain's pouring down, and they're in this mountainous territory, and they're just traipsing through the mountains, slipping and sliding, trying to stay up on their feet, just surviving. And the goal of their mission is to simply go and do reconnaissance on the leader of the other, of the enemy troops, okay? So there's four of them, they're just going to recon, just going to find him to give information back to their team. I don't know if you call it a team, to their army, whatever the word is. And what happens is as they've been traipsing through the mountain, slipping and sliding for three or four hours and the sun starts to rise, suddenly they come across three shepherds who are looking after sheep. Now, goats, got corrected. Someone loves the movie more than me, I appreciate that. <laughs> so what happens is they have these goats, and what happens is these three shepherds turn around, they suddenly see four guys pointing guns at them. That's not ideal, right? That's not your ideal morning of looking after sheep, goats. <laughs> so what happens in the movie, I don't know if this happens in real life, but in the movie they have this choice to make. Number one, we're gonna let these people go, and they're gonna go and tell the enemy force that we're here. Number two, we tie them up and leave them here and the enemies know for some reason our shepherds are missing. Or we kill them and that's not ideal because they didn't do anything wrong. So it's quite a tough situation for them and in the movie, they have this vote off. They're gonna vote to see what happens. I don't think that's what happened in real life. But anyway, they vote and they decide we're gonna let them go and our mission's compromised so we're just gonna get out of here as fast as we can. And what happens is they start getting away and within two or three hours, they're surrounded by over 200 enemy forces shooting at them. That's not ideal, right? 
And these bullets are flying, and two things happen in every war movie if you've watched them. Number one, only one person has a cell phone. Right? It's not a war movie unless that happens. So in the movie, the one guy has a cell phone. It's ridiculously big. It's huge. He pulls out this massive antenna, and he's making the phone call. And the second thing that happens in every war movie, you might be able to guess it, is there's never reception. <laughs> Doesn't matter how big the phone is. Sometimes it's the, it's the size of a backpack, and they still can't get reception. What would they have done if they had found the guy? They wouldn't have been able to call the backup but there's no reception, surprise, surprise. And these, <clears throat> excuse me, these bullets are flying and the guy on the phone is like, guys, the bullets are flying. No one else is coming. No one else is coming, it's just us. No one else is coming. And after that happens, it takes quite a sad turn. The real story is three of the men lose their life that morning. And the guy who tells us the story and the movie's based on, he, he gets shot from the, he gets shot three or four times and paralyzed from the waist down. And he has to crawl 10 kilometers with just his hands to get evacuated that evening. And I was watching that movie and I did what all Christians have to do. I try to make it religious. I was like, God, you have to be in this movie somewhere because my sister, she thinks Tangled is the gospel in 86 minutes. It's a Disney movie. So I'm like, okay, God, I feel a bit bad. I watched a war movie. There was killing. Where were you in the midst of this movie, God? And I actually found myself in the midst of that movie, and here's where I did. As a Christian, often it felt like, and the Bible actually says that you and I are not of this world, but we're in this world right? We have heaven, but we're here. And often as a Christian, to me, it felt like I wasn't of this world, but I was dropped into enemy territory. And now I was just going to survive. I was going to stay away from the enemy. I might see what he's doing. I might complain about what he's doing, but I'm going to survive. If I see him, I'm going to call God and be like, God, there's a problem. I need backup. I need help, God. And often I relate to myself like I'm just slipping and sliding through life, just trying to survive. And as I began to think about that more and more, I started to think about the fact of, as a Christian, sometimes we think two things have to happen for us. Number one, God has to send us reinforcements, right? So we make that phone call, God, we need you to come and help us. I don't know about you, I've prayed for help before. And, or number two, we get evacuated out of here one day, right? But we don't get evacuated by a helicopter, but we get evacuated by a white horse and a guy riding it. And he comes and he takes us and we, we get out of here. So either reinforcements come or we get evacuated one day. And I started thinking about that more and I realized what, what I would call reinforcements. I was like, okay, God, what do we refer to as reinforcements? And what we often refer to as reinforcements, especially in charismatic cultures, we refer to this word of revival, right? So it's not a message against revival. You don't have to leave. Don't worry. But we refer to this term of, God, if you send revival, then we'll be able to advance the kingdom. Amen? God, send revival. We need to advance the kingdom. We need your help, else we're going to lose this war. And I started thinking about revival, and if you look at revival, it is in the Bible. Some guys are like, the word revival is not in the Bible. My answer is the word Bible is not in the Bible. Do you read it? <laughs> Some of you missed that, but... So I'm reading the book of Acts and the Bible and everything we would call revival, which if I asked you what is revival, 
you might say, well, it's people getting healed, or it's um, demons coming out, or households being restored, or workplaces being changed, society, neighborhoods being transformed, government being transformed, a society being transformed, right? Revival is probably somewhere in there. And as I'm reading the book of Acts more and more, and I'm seeing everything that we would call revival. I'm seeing the church growing by thousands in a day. I'm seeing healings taking place. And I'm like, okay, there is revival there. But as I'm reading it more and more, I realize what, what I would call revival or, or what we would call revival, the book of Acts just refers to as Christianity. What I called revival, the book of Acts would just call being a Christian. So I began to ask myself, okay, God, something's not lining up. So I said, God, what, do you, what did they have that we don't have access to? There's the answer, nothing. Nothing's changed. God didn't take something away from us. So I said, okay, God, well, then I want to see revival. So are we on this journey? And I came to the conclusion of I believe there's two main reasons why we don't see revival. And I'm going to share those with you this morning. The first reason I think we don't see revival is actually because we simply aren't available to be used by God. I know it sounds very simple, but I'll explain what I mean. There's a verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. This is what it says. Are you ready? Okay. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. I think that's such a powerful verse. It's saying, no one who's in the army gets caught up in the things of this life because he's trying to please him who enlisted him as a soldier. I think one of the main reasons sometimes we don't see revival is simply because we become so caught up in the affairs of this life. And I'll explain what I mean. I don't know about you, me for one, I've never gone into Woolworths, ShopRite, Checkers, Pick and Pay, Spa. I've never gone and be like, okay, God, who do you want me to speak to in here? And God say to me, no one, you're good. I'm praying for the day that it happens. I can't wait. Or I say, okay, God, there's no one to speak to. What about just someone to encourage, God? A Christian, no one. Nobody needs encouragement today, you're off. I can't wait for that day. But rather what has happened to me is days go by, weeks go by, months go by, and I look back and I haven't touched anyone, but it's simply because I wasn't available to be used by God. Because it's one thing to be in here and worship and we love shouting God, here am I, send me. It's a great Christian shout in the church. But we should have that heart when we walk into ShopRite, Checkers, or Woolworths tomorrow. And please don't shout it. You don't have to shout it there. But that's where we need to say, okay, God, I'm available to be used. What can I do for you? Because often what the enemy wants you to do is he wants you to walk through Woolworths or ShopRite, and the whole time he wants you to think about the things of your life. He would love for you to walk through ShopRite, and all you can worry about is your finances. Because while you're worrying about your finances, you walk past 10 people that you could have encountered with his love. And your worrying didn't change your situation or anybody else's situation. But that's simply called being entangled in the things of this life. Maybe it's worrying about your family. Sometimes it's not wrong things, but it's the wrong perspective. Do not become entangled in the things of this life. 
Because in a real war, if you forget that you're in a war for a few days, you're probably dead. Amen? But as a Christian, sometimes we, don't, we forget and we don't even realize we've forgotten. But I want to tell you today, you're in a war. Let's become untangled from the things of this life so we can please him who enlisted us as a soldier. Our number one weapon as a Christian is simply availability. Would you become available to be used by God? As simple as just saying, God, here am I, use me. Good word, Dylan. Okay. Let's turn to Acts chapter 8. I'm just going to read one verse from Acts chapter 8. I love this. How many of you as Christians sometimes, probably most of you, have felt overwhelmed with the work that we need to do? Have you ever been there? Like, God, there's such a need in this nation, and it's not just South Africa. It's almost any nation you go to, they're facing problems, and it's an overwhelming need sometimes. Like, God, I look around, I drive down the road, I see so much need. I see so many places where you need to move, and it feels overwhelming. It's almost like, God, how can I make a difference? I can stop and speak to one person, but how will that change anything? I can invite someone to church, but how will that change the grand scheme of what's happening in this nation? And if, if we turn to Acts 8, I, I love this passage. I try to put myself into the narrative of the Bible to make it more real to me, okay? So I'm reading Acts chapter 8, and it says this. An angel of the Lord spoke to him and said, Arise and go south along the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. So I read that, and I'm like, I've read that before. An angel told him to walk south on a, on a road. So I'm like, okay, I hate walking. Anybody else hate hiking? You end where you started and you got no cardio. So I'm like, I put myself in here and I'm like, okay, I hate walking in general. And he gets told to walk from Jerusalem to Gaza. So I'm like, God, I have to know, actually, Google, I have to know how far it is from Jerusalem to Gaza. So I said, hey, Google, let's check how far. Google told me and Google never lies. It's like the news, it's never wrong. Some of you went over your heads. That's okay. So Google told me it's 100 kilometers from Jerusalem to Gaza. And I was like, that changes the whole story for me. Now I want to put, you put yourself in the position tomorrow morning. It's, it's 7 a.m. You have your coffee cup with the scripture that you drink out of every morning. You have your Rick coffee in there. You have your Joyce Myers devotional and your Bible. And you're doing your morning devotions. And while you're doing your morning devotions, the Holy Spirit says, hey, Brad, get up and walk to Port Shepston. <laughs> yes, I Googled it. Roughly 100 kilometers. <laughs> Some of you are like, his geography is great. <laughs> Preparation. That's what the situation's like. Get up and walk. Brad's like, why, God? Nothing. How long am I going for, God? Nothing. What should I take, God? Nothing. Now, if this is me, I would, and, and, and Chanel was like, what's God speaking to you about? Well, maybe in the future I might transition to Port Shepston. At some point. I don't have any details right now, but at some point, because you know, Chanel, I'm called to change nations. So this doesn't really make sense right now, but later it might make sense. So God started the conversation. He's going to tell me what to take, how long to go for, or even just why I'm going. And if I left, which would be a miracle, if I left the house. 
an hour into the walk, all I'd be thinking is, God, you haven't invented cars yet. I have to walk an hour back. Two hours into the walk, God, I've got to walk two hours back. Three hours, and okay, God, can you at least tell me why I'm walking? And my favorite thing is the author writes these three words at the end of the sentence. This is desert. <laughs> he wants you to know. He wasn't just walking on a paved road or a grass road or a forest road. He's like, you have to know this is desert. So this guy called to change nations. God's like, walk south on the dirt road. If I'm five hours in God, what am I doing here? I'm called to change nations. Why am I on a dirt road? Can you at least tell me why? And then I said, okay, Google, how long does it take to walk 100 kilometers? And Google told me it takes two days of walking 16 hours. So that means if you left for Port Shepston tomorrow morning, you would get there Tuesday night and get eight hours of rest. Even that night, lying under the stars in the desert, God, why am I here? What are you doing? But it's amazing what happens in the story. Somewhere along his dirt road, somewhere along walking south on this dirt road. We don't know when. It could have been hour one or hour 28. We have no idea. But somewhere on the journey, God says, go and speak to that man. And he goes and speaks to the man. And the man gets saved. And to this day, Ethiopia is over 80% Christian. And it's traced back to that one conversation on that dirt road. I wonder if we've complicated things. One conversation changes a nation. I wonder if we've missed seeing God change nations because we've said, God, I'm not called to walk south on dirt road. I'm called to business. God, I'm called to, I'm called to government. I'm called to teaching. God, I'm a prophet. I'm not called to walk south on a dirt road. One conversation changes a nation. You see, I came to tell you today that maybe you by yourself, you can't change South Africa. But you have such a big God that if you step out and have one conversation, He can change a nation through your obedience. But God will not do it without you and me. Because He's chosen for you and me to be His hands and feet. So it's not enough just for us to stay. Hashtag, I'm staying. I've already left. I'm joking. But that's not enough because when you hear, advance the kingdom. One conversation can change a nation. Simple obedience with God can have great results. Because in the natural, you might think, God, I'm, not, I'm called to change nations. I'm not called to walk south on a dirt road. God, I'm called to politics. What if the person God told you to speak to yesterday was the next great politician? God's looking to see if you'll still be obedient. God's looking to see if you'll still stop and speak to that one person. Your God is so big, but all he needs from you is a little bit of obedience. I'm like, God, that's too easy for him. I've spoken to one person before, but I keep believing that as I have one conversation, the ripple effects that are going to be huge because I have a huge God. But we have to realize it's much more simple than we've made it. And I've, I, as, as I put this into practice more and more, I've seen God move more and more, even in Vienna, um, a few months ago, I was getting out of the, I was getting out of the elev- um, out of the Uber at the at the hotel, and this guy gets out of the Uber in front of me, black guy, African guy, and for me, I live in Europe, so anyone that looks African, I want to speak to because they probably speak English. That's a little bit of my heart, so I love it. I'm trying to connect because nobody speaks English, 
So I'm like, this guy probably speaks English and he looks cool. He had Apple AirPods, white shoes. I'm like, I want to be friends with this guy. So by chance, we end up in the same elevator. Wasn't by chance. We get into the elevator, and as I get in, I'm like, here's my chance to be friends with this guy. And God says to me, tell him that I love him. I'm like, God, that's not how to make friends. If you want to make your friends awkward, get into an elevator, press the highest button, and tell the whole elevator Jesus loves them. You've never seen such an awkward situation in your life. Everybody looks down, nobody says anything. I've been there. So I say it to him, and he's like, thank you, it gets awkward. I'm like, okay, how do I get out of this? I'm like, uh, what are you doing here? Making small talk. And he's like, well, I'm meeting the president tomorrow. And I was like, wow, that's cool. I'm like, that's cool. Why are you meeting the president tomorrow? He says, well, I play in the um, Austrian under-21 Europa League soccer team. So we're going to play in the tournament in two days, so we're all meeting the president tomorrow. So I'm like, dude, that's awesome. What's your Instagram handle? Millennials, right? I'm like, let me hit you up on Instagram. So I follow him on Instagram. He follows me back. Praise God. <laughs> and, and then months go by and I totally, I, I, just, I, I move on with life. And I'm reading news articles and I read about how this 21-year-old Ghanaian soccer player who plays for Austrian under 21 is bought by one of the teams in the Barclays Premier League. That same guy from the elevator now playing in the biggest league in the world. And I look back at that and I'm like, God, I couldn't have done that by myself. And it's not about me, but it's, a, it's the idea of simple obedience. Where in my mind, how that happens is I go to his game and I say, hey, God's probably showed you a dream. I'm going to mentor you. Have you had the dream yet? <laughs> right? Because that's how we want it to happen. He comes to us, hey, I had a dream. You're going to mentor me. It's not going to happen like that. The president of this nation is not going to one day call you on the phone. I'm sorry. You have to be obedient. And when you step out, you'll realize how little you have to actually do for God to make a difference through you. See, because I came here to tell you today that nobody else is coming. God's not sending anybody else because you have what it takes to change a nation. Nobody else is coming. We gotta stop waiting for God to send something because you have access to everything you need now. You have the spirit that raised Christ from the dead living inside of you now. We don't need backup because we have what it takes to see a nation changed. One conversation can see a nation changed. And how we see a nation changes, I say, okay, God, today I'm going to be available to speak to one person. Brendan says the same thing. Stephen says the same thing. And we all start saying that, and suddenly a nation begins to be changed. I came to release hope to you today. This isn't a hopeless nation. Because as you begin to step out of one conversation, God will do great things through your life. Good word, Dylan. I brought my own encouragement, you're good. You serve a big God, a big enough God that he can take one conversation and change a nation. I live in Germany at the moment and I live in a town of 600 people. It's huge. The town next door is 2,000 people, it even has a bakery. And we live right near a town of 80,000 so it's not right in the middle of nowhere but I read about a man from the town of 2,000 people. It's German man. And this man left Germany in 1850 and he moved to California where we would call Sacramento now. And he shows up in Sacramento in the 1850s. It's a true story. And this guy sells him his farm in Sacramento. And he, he says to him, why are you selling me the farm? And he says, well, I've heard that there's gold in Southern California. 
So I'm going to Southern California. He says, okay. He buys the farm. Years go by. We never hear about the guy that sold the farm again. I don't know what happened to him. Years go by on the farm, and one day his daughter runs into the house and puts a handful of mud in front of the fireplace. Straight away, my first thought was, that's bad parenting. Why are you letting your daughter put mud in front of the fireplace? But he was thankful for it because as the mud dried out, he began to see gold in the mud. True story. The guy sold his property to go and find gold, and the guy who bought it finds gold in the mud on the river. And that property started what we would call the Californian gold rush. And to this day, there's someone, so to this day, over $40 million of gold has been pulled out of that river. That sucks if you sold that property. Today, to this day, there's a part third owner, so he owns one third of the property, and he gets $20 every hour from the river. $80 a day, $2,000, no, $80 an hour, $2,000 a day, and $60,000 a month from being a one third part owner. And I, I heard that story and it reminded me of the prodigal son. And I'll tell you why. Okay, is that okay? Okay, good. I would have done it anyway. Um, Luke 15. So what happened in the prodigal son, I'm gonna very briefly go over it because most of us know the story. But what happens is there's, a, there's two brothers and the one brother says, I want my inheritance now. I'm getting out of here. The grass is greener out there. He had a very wealthy father. He takes his inheritance. He goes to a nearby city and he blows his whole inheritance, sleeping with prostitutes, getting drunk, partying. He thinks he's gonna live his best life. And, and he ends up in this position where he ends up sleeping with pigs. And worse than that, he's actually eating pig's food. And most of us have been there at one point in our lives where we leave maybe God or the church because we think the grass is green and we end up sleeping with the pigs, right? We realize how empty it, it, the world really is. And in that moment, he thinks to himself, he says, even the servants on my father's farm are better than my life right now. So he goes back to his father and he thinks his father's gonna be ashamed, but his father runs out, meets him with open arms, which is a beautiful picture if you've walked away from God. You don't come back ashamed to him, but rather he's watching, waiting and preparing for you to come home. And he, he runs out and grabs him, hugs him, gives him new clothes, kills the cow he's been preparing for him. It's a beautiful picture of God's love for us. And he says, kill the calf and let's have a party. And the other brother comes home who's been, who's been working hard and doing what he's supposed to do the whole time. Never done anything wrong, serving his father, waiting for one day to get his inheritance. And he comes home and the son that's been there the whole time gets angry that this party's being thrown. And he says, I'm not going into that party because he doesn't deserve that party. And he says in verse, it's, it's Luke 15, verse 29. He says to the father, I've been serving you this whole time. I've never done anything wrong. <laughs> I love this because times have changed a lot. He says, you never gave me a young goat, <laughs> young goat, that I might party with my friends. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. <laughs> Dad, you didn't give me that goat. But he, and he says, verse 30, as soon as your son came, who devoured his lively stock with prostitutes, you killed the best cow for him. And I wanna hit on this verse. This is what the father says to the son. He says, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. 
See, I believe we've been waiting to receive something that we've always had access to. He's like, son, you've had your inheritance and access to your inheritance the whole time. All that was wrong was your perspective. See, he was waiting to receive something that he had had access to the whole time. See, I came to tell you today that you don't need to keep searching for gold, but there's gold on your property. You don't need to keep waiting for the things of God because you already have access to them. You don't need to start waiting for God to do something because there's already gold on your property. You already have access to the things of God. You don't need to wait anymore because nobody else is coming. See, the first reason I believe we don't see revival is because we aren't available to be used by God. And the second reason is because I believe we've been waiting to receive something that we've had access to all along. See, when you realize you already have access to the things of God, that you can already heal the sick, that you can already cast out demons, that you can already see people saved, that anything that you call revival, you can already do because he lives inside of you. God's not going to change anything within you because he can't give you anything more than he's given. He can't give you anything more than his spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. He's like, I can't give you and you don't need anything more, honestly. He's like, there's nothing more powerful than what you already have. Even God has, like, that's the most powerful thing he has is himself, which, which you have inside of you. So, as I'm trying to think of this verse more and more, how differently would we live our lives if when you woke up in the morning, you actually believed and I believed that that spirit lives inside of me. That when I walk down the road, people's problems can be solved by the spirit that lives in me. That it's not arrogant to believe that you are God's answer for South Africa. That's not arrogance because Christ in you, the hope of glory, is God's answer for South Africa. You are his A-team. You, you're the best he has. He's not sending in reinforcements because you are the reinforcements. You are the ones he sent. I am the one he sent. Last week I saw this picture and there's only two types of parents in the world. The parents that sit on the sidelines of their kids' games quietly and the ones that think they're the coach. My dad was the one that was quiet my mom was the one that didn't understand the sport, but she thought she was the coach. <laughs> didn't know the rules, but still shouted at that ref. <laughs> and I saw this picture of us on the sidelines shouting, cheering on God. God, you run that race. God, you change our nation. He's racing against the devil. And God stopped me. And he said, you've got it all wrong. you the one in the race. I'm the one on the sidelines. I'm the one cheering you on. I'm the one empowering you to do the work. See, God's not gonna change this nation by himself because he's chosen you and I. Now that sounds intense, but it's truthful. Right from Genesis, God gave us authority on the earth. Right from the beginning. He's not gonna change it now. See, if you sit back and hope for God to change it, it's not gonna happen. I don't mean to sound harsh, but it's the truth. Because he, he wants to use you. He wants to use me. See, and I came to actually encourage you that you can actually make a difference. And even if you don't see the effects, that's okay. You might not always see the effect in the moment. That guy in Acts 8, he would never know the effect he had on Ethiopia. It's such a crazy story. He baptizes the guy in the river and he disappears. 
He would never know his whole life that Ethiopia is majority Christian because of his walking south on a dirt road. If someone rejects you, it doesn't matter because you don't know what that seed's done. You have to put aside that. It's like, God, I'm going to be obedient and trust that you're going to work in my obedience. I'm just going to have one conversation with someone and I'm going to trust that you're going to do great things with it. I don't need to see fruit in the moment. I'm just going to be obedient and let you do the rest. But he won't do it by himself because he chooses to partner with us. No one joins the army to watch the war. Good word, God. God told me that last year. I was like, God, I wish I had come up with that myself. And he said this. He said, nobody becomes a Christian to be a spectator. See, the misconception we've had as the church is what I'm preaching about today. You might say, well, that's for an evangelist. And you might say that because in Ephesians 4, it says that God gave the evangelist. He gave the preacher, teacher, prophet, apostle, right? So you say, okay, I'm not an evangelist. But we skip the next verse. The next verse says this, he gave those five for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So it means this, if you come to me and you're like, I'm not an evangelist, I'm like, okay, you can't have the mic. You can't teach on evangelism. That's literally what that verse is saying. He gave the evangelist to teach everybody how to evangelize. I'm not an evangelist. Okay, well, you can't preach. Take a seat. But we eat, not all of us are called to be evangelists, but every Christian is called to be a soul winner. It's not an optional choice. As Christians, we're called to be soul winners and to advance the kingdom. Each one of you are called to that. And I just want to tell you today that you can make a difference. And I'll start to close now. I have three closes. I'm an evangelist. The first close. Often we want to... I love the story of Peter in the boat. We all know that story, right? He's in the boat with some other disciples and there's storms that are brewing and there's huge waves and, and the rain's coming down and he sees this ghost on the water and he's like, it's a ghost. And that ghost says back, no, it's not, I'm Jesus. And I love Peter's response. He says, God, if it's you, Jesus, if it's you, call me out onto the water. I think any one of the disciples that day could have walked on water. But only one was hungry enough and had the revelation to say, God, if you're doing it, Jesus, if you're doing it, I can do it. So he says, if it's you, call me out onto the water. I believe any one of them that said that could have had access to it. But only one was hungry enough to say, I want that in my life. So he says, call me onto the water. I love Jesus' response. He says, okay, come onto the water. See, I, I think a lot of times, myself included, as Christians, we want to walk on water, but we aren't willing to get out of the boat. See, Jesus doesn't push Peter out of the boat. He has to choose to get out of the boat and step into God's promises, into the unknown. See, we have to choose to leave our comfort zone if we want to see God move. The Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as the comforter. You don't need a comforter in your comfort zone. Good word, Dylan. No, some of you said good word. Yeah, I'll say it again for you who missed it. You don't need a comforter in your comfort zone. Thank you. Tried one more time. No, I'm joking. But in all seriousness, you have to be willing to leave your comfort zone. Because you can't walk on water from the boat. And Jesus will not push you out of the boat. He will, give you, he will call you and give you the option. He says you can heal the sick. Now it's your job to ask someone if you can pray for them. He won't do it for you. 
and he won't do it so you can pray under your breath, God heal them. No. Because that would be easy. But he wants to see us step out of the boat. See, and then what happens is Peter sinks into the water, but he locks eyes with Jesus and Jesus catches him. I don't know about you, but I would rather be waiting in the arms of Jesus than dry and sitting in the boat. I would rather be waiting in the arms of Jesus than dry and sitting in the boat. I would rather step out and make a mistake and be comforted by the Holy Spirit than sit in the boat and look back and say, I wish I could have done more. I wish I could have walked on water. I wish I could have prayed for someone. I wish I could have shared with that colleague. I want to step out, make mistakes, and be comforted. And I came to tell you today, step out of the boat. Leave your comfort zone behind. And as you do that, I believe that God will move through you more than you could ever hope or imagine. That's my first close. My second close, no one else is coming. No, I'm only going to do two closes. No one else is coming because you don't need anything else. You have what it takes to change your workplace, your city, and your nation. I came to encourage each one of you today that you are God's answer for this nation. Would you become available to simply be used by God? And it just looks like you're going out of the house and saying, God, would you use me today? I might not see the effects today. I might not see somebody get saved today. But if I can share the gospel, I never know the effects. Would you just become available and say, God, here am I. I don't want to become entangled in the things of this life anymore. I want to be used by you. I want to please you who enlisted me in the army of God. Can you guys stand for me? Jesus, we love you so much. You can just close your eyes right now. We love you so much, Jesus. We thank you for the privilege that it is for us to be your hands and feet. That God, we can't do this without you, but luckily we have you living in us. We have the spirit that raised your son from the dead, living inside, residing in us. We wake up with him in the morning. I feel like God's saying, revival isn't coming, it's leaving your house tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. It's going to the gym at 7.30. It's arriving at work at 8 a.m. Revival is showing up at your workplace at 8 a.m. It's getting to Woolworths at 5 p.m. after work. You are revival. It's not coming, it's leaving your house in the morning. God, we wanna be used by you. God, we thank you for the privilege of being used by you. God, that, that one simple conversation, that one simple act of obedience can have such great results with you. We love you, Jesus. We even repent in this moment if we become entangled in the things of this life. Well, that's a conversation between you and God. If you know you become entangled in things of this life, that you become worried or different things have got your attention and you've forgotten that you're in a war. It's just between you and God right now saying, God, I'm sorry, I've become entangled. I don't wanna be entangled anymore. I wanna please you. I wanna advance your kingdom. I want things to be important to me that are important to you. We love you, Jesus. We love your presence. We thank that we could come together and worship and be in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.